Hi, I'm Mara Webster with In Creative Company, and I'm thrilled today to be joined by the wonderful Toby Jones to talk all about his film Empire of Light. And, you know, in 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 looking at the number of roles that you've done, both on screen and on stage over the years in coming to a project like this, I was so interested in how the conversations that you tend to have with writer and directors have evolved in and changed over the years. And, you know, particularly for a script like this, because this is such a personal film for Sam Mendes in terms of honoring his his mother and the legacy of growing up with her and her struggles with mental health and what that looked like at that particular time period as well as just that love for cinema and that very specific connectivity that it can bring I was interested in what the dialogue between the two of you looked like and how that perhaps is an evolution of the conversations that you used to have early on with filmmakers when you would come on board for projects right uh so I mean this was unusual because I've talked to Sam over the years in uh, one about other projects which I think have all been theatre and for one reason or another he's offered me jobs and they haven't been right or we, we, we it just hasn't worked out uh, uh, and then the other way is that we actually grew up going to the same parties as teenagers and we were actually going to the same village halls and dancing to the same music at exactly the time that this film is set. I mean, like, like 1979, 80, 81, we were all going to the same parties. And in fact, the producer Pippa was also going to those same parties. So in that sense, my communication with him had a start to it, even though we, we, we haven't stayed in, in close touch. However, the intensity of, being an adolescent together, I suppose, means that you have a sort of in with someone that you wouldn't, who you met as an adult. So out of the blue, this script arrives about a year, about a year, about, a, about just over a year before we started shooting. And I realised, you know, Sam is so incredibly organised and so incredibly um, focused on projects that I don't think I'd ever been approached for a job that far ahead about anything, particularly a movie. And he said that he'd written me the part with me in mind. And would I do it? And of course, for me, it was unusual to agree to something that far ahead. Um, but of course, I, I read the script and, uh, you know, on the page, it was just a complete page turner. I didn't quite know what was going to happen next. There were so many different facets to the, to the film and, you know, I was aware, you know, it wasn't the biggest part in it. Not that that's necessarily a problem, but I was, you know, but I was aware that as often happens with projects I accept, it was like a project that I wanted to be involved with because just these script, scripts of this kind of ambition don't, you know, most scripts aren't this ambitious. And uh, so I suppose if that answers your question about how this particular project came about, I mean, how my how I mean, what is odd is that uh, I don't really I, I I receive offers for for work, which means whichever you know, which is great. It means you don't have to go through auditions very much, which is a huge relief. But at the same time, it means that you often feel quite distant from the business. You, you're only hearing about stuff that you are right for. You're not going for things that you're wrong for. And I, me, like most actors, feel I'm right for everything. You know, I, I could do anything, you know, and, and uh, 
so it, it, it's it's curious over the years that the, the, on the one hand you feel much much more at home in the business but on another hand you feel quite you have a different relationship with it because you you hear about things when the, when it's already been decided you know that's that's so interesting to hear and and in coming on board to play this character you know you're you're playing norman who's a projectionist at the cinema and you know having having known a lot of projectionists over the years they're, they're always usually really lovely, super engaged, incredibly passionate, incredibly detailed people. But there is also something quite interesting about that that choice to kind of be the person sitting in the dark room behind the audience in the cinema. And so in looking at that being his profession and how he really holds it in such high regard and takes it incredibly seriously, this isn't just a day job to him. It's something that he's so connected to. How did that start to shape a lot of the the ethos and characteristics and personality traits that you envisioned for him early on? Well, I mean, the most, you know, it's a bit of a spoiler, I suppose. But, you know, what's interesting about a part like that is that it's given an arc, you know, that there's a secret that the character has. And as you say, it's an extraordinary thing to sort of bury yourself in a cinema, you know, effectively projectionists, because they were having to change the film every 15 minutes and they may have more than one cinema they're operating in. They effectively live in the cinema and they live in this sort of dark room. And I remember, you know, the realisation as it, as a, when I started going to the movies that there was actually someone up there operating the film seemed so bizarre to me it was like the the, the you'd never see them because you, you you couldn't see past the bright light of the projector and weirdly the, the idea of the character who has this secret and the idea that in a way in a minor way he his situation mirrors olivia's you know hillary's in a sense that he has something's happened to him in his life that has had a long-term bearing on his well-being and he's sort of not self-medicated but he's attempted to sort of self-heal by disappearing into his job which a lot of men do that they heal themselves by immersing themselves in work but his work happens to be almost like a coffin and and I felt uh, talking to Sam we talked about, about the costume and I said he should be like a ghost he should be very pale and he should be, you know, wearing clothes that don't see, you know, they're, they're sort of almost, they're so light. And he should just be like anonymous, barely there in a way. And and slowly a, a, a character emerged like that. But, I mean, it, it, it's a mark of a good script that all the characters have arcs. You know, they, they have a journey to go on. That's almost a sign of, you know, extreme care being taken with a project. They do. And in, in, in terms of a lot of the details of him as well, even just in the way that you're talking about this, I feel like often when I've heard you talk about any characters and, and the way that you approach them, there's always this sense of that that love and that care for the really meticulous level of details that go into it. And so particularly for this, you know, with what you were mentioning, you're you're playing someone who lives and breathes this every day. And there's the real technical aspects of everything that he's doing and changing the reels. And we really see you moving around the projection room and enacting a lot of those details and so what did that look like in terms of learning a lot of the technical specifics that were necessary and how did that in turn then inform some of the personality of the character even further for you once you did it well I mean anyone who's interested or serious about wanting to be an actor you you sort of have to be a detail freak I mean that's that's what the job is you 
you you have to be interested in uh, the accumulation of details either details that you've been given or details that you're going to have to learn or details that you're going to have to invent but the more detailed you are the more i i, I the more thorough the characterization will be so i was lucky enough i met a guy called alex cooper who collects projectors and indeed teaches um the art the lost art of of, of using film you know uh, mounting film on projectors and showing film on projectors and he has a whole collection of them and i went to him and i said listen alex i don't want to appear defeatist but i am one of the clumsiest there's a reason I'm an actor. It's because I can't do anything else. You know, uh, you know, my, I'm all fingers and thumbs with technical stuff. He said, don't worry. And he was a brilliant, brilliant teacher. And I did sort of learn how to feed the film. And, uh, and although as with any acting role, you're, you, you're, you're only ever going to be seen doing that. You can cut around it effectively, but nonetheless, you're having to simulate expertise and experience that you can never have unless you have a year to prepare or something. But uh, so that, that's all incredibly useful because, you know, what we also love as actors, I suppose, is things to be doing that we can show character through rhythm. We can show habit through rhythm. We can show disturbance through the breakup of that rhythm. So if we have a clear, concrete, physical activity, it's a very useful thing because, you then don't have to say things you, there's additional information you can give physically, you know, which is, I suppose what you mean is I, I, I mean, I, I am always relieved when there is something a, a character can be doing rather than saying. And, and like you were mentioning before as well, one of the things with the script is that every single character has this arc and, and particularly with Norman, there is so, there is so much detail in terms of his backstory and and his version of self medicating and and obviously we're, we're only seeing him through the lens of this particular space with his colleagues and so how did you envision his world outside of the cinema and the aspects that would be helpful to bring into his personality and to bring into who he is within well, that space if i'm being frank i don't think i did because i felt that you know uh, t- talking to alex about the life of projectionists they would often have beds and we see that he has a kettle we see that you know they would often have beds in the cinema they they literally lived in the cinema and and in a way I I don't think I spent any time imagining what his life was out there because I think in a way it was a non-life anyway he locks up the cinema he's first one to you know it's it's a non-life and in a way that was more interesting to me than trying to imagine some other place that he was probably only only living in momentarily anyway. And early on in the film, when Michael Ward's character, Stephen, first comes to work at the cinema and he's being shown around by Olivia Colman's character, Hillary, you know, she kind of is like, oh, you know, nobody goes in the projection room. And, and so we get this sense of this physical distance of space between him and his colleagues as well. You know, he will come out of that room and he will interact and he will be there in the break room, but he's he doesn't need to be the center of the discourse and conversation with everybody. Um, and so how did you find what that dynamic was once you brought him out of the projection room and you placed him in the center of all of the other characters for all of those scenes? Well, I mean, the, the film in part is about the creation of a, of a family. It's about the creation of 
an unlikely family. And one of the features of that family is that people do and don't fit into it. Um, uh, and at group moments, communal moments, everyone has a different relationship with each other. But because it's also their workplace, it allows them a degree of opting in or opting out of family, uh, which is why a lot of people use work as a source of, 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 of a, a, a replacement for family. And I suppose, you know, I felt that there are these other roles going on, such as, you know, that Colin, in a way, Colin and I are kind of, you know, optional fathers to the cinema. One of my character loves the cinema. His character, he sees it as a business. And there's a kind of, there's, so there's two sides of that. And clearly, you know, M Michael's character stirs in me, unearths in me, this ghost of a former role as a father that I'd had, uh, a more specific role. And I, and I think my favourite, one of my very favourite shots in the, that I took part in in the film is almost the final image I think you see of uh, Tom, Olivia and I just looking out with cups of tea, looking out at the sea and there's nothing to say. And there's something about uh, sort of sense of harmony and contentment just in that image that we sort of realise that that's where she will fit in again, where she's been sort of taken in again to the family. And there's something very beautiful about that reintegration in a way. I mean, you, you bring up a moment like that where, like you said, it's it's not a conversation between them all. It's just that very much that slice of life moment, but that is giving us so much of the essence of the dynamic and, and characters. And I feel like you always find that space so well between the dialogue and in those quieter moments and then those quiet rhythms of characters within scripts and performance. And so when you work with a script and you kind of start to feel out those moments, how do you find those, those really vital moments of silence for character often? Well, I suppose, uh, um, you know, uh, where, where I, where I uh, trained, uh, which is uh, quite a specific kind of training in, in, in Paris, um, where we would be asked to make bits of theatre each week. And ev every week we were sort of, told uh, given the theme that we had to use a particular technique with and every week someone would ask are we allowed to use words and the the guy Jacques Lecoq who ran the school would say if you need to if you need to use words then you should definitely use words which obviously we're saying don't use words if you don't need them and that to me weirdly for such a theatrical training it's a brilliant lesson about cinema that ideally my ideal situation is to try and tell as much physically as I can and to drain us drain a sequence of words and see how much I can tell because then the words can do something different to what you're to what you're doing the two things can be giving information differently and I think as well before I worked in film I used to watch films and the bits I liked best were characters on their own walking down streets or and I, I sort of dreamt of doing very sort of everyday things being watched by a camera, you know, like, wouldn't it be great, you know, to walk down a corridor? Wouldn't it be great to be carrying a bag of groceries down a, down a street and then 
having to open a door at the same time things like things like that I, I remember thinking wow and then how would I tell a bit of information about the character with the way I did that rather than a line you know and that that is the part of it I enjoy I enjoy most actually is, is trying to to essentialize a character into movement you know and is is that essence of you know having specifically studied physical movement in theater is that something that is always one of the first things that you start to find in a character or kind of like what's the what's the foundational starting point for you? Well, I, I wish I could say I was that sort of systematic. I mean, I think most most actors, I mean, different scripts require different things. I mean, I, I, I it's just like different scenes require different things. Some scenes you can chat away to other actors beforehand and it's all fine. And then other scenes you need to go and be in a room on your own for a little while and just concentrate a bit and you need a certain atmosphere on set. And it's the same generally for approaches to acting. You know, I think that you don't learn necessarily um, a system. Some Maybe some actors do use a system, but I think stories are about worlds really and 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 trying to suss out what is the world in which we're all operating and what sort of level of realism are we working on and how does humor function in this world how does tragedy function in this world and i think it's more trying to sort of sniff out the world of a film from watching what other actors are doing so that we all belong in the same world because as much as people say oh it's realistic oh it's naturalistic really the thing is that that's a very approximate term and everyone sort of is trying to understand how to pitch pitch their part in relation to everyone else really no that that really makes sense and you know in in talking about norman a little bit more as well in the film i really love the relationship that develops with steven you know as steven starts to become really interested that there's someone that he can share all of this with mm-hmm. that really understands that that specific passion and there's this kind of mentorship and and also because of what you were talking about with with norman having had a child that he's not active as a parent to in their life and that hasn't seen for several years for you as well was it was it a mentorship a share of passion but also something parental in him that was driving a lot of that well i mean i i mean this is one of the you know there's a few magical things that happen when you're making a film but one of the things that does happen is that without you realizing it you start behaving towards people actors the way your characters like uh, like Michael and I got on straight away. We started chatting straight away, and we, we, you know we, we have totally different histories in the business. His is much shorter than mine. He, you know he comes from a totally different area. To me, he lives out in Essex. I live in central London. I'm obviously much older than him, and and yet all the time we were looking for points of interest between us: music, comedy, whatever it was. And we were trying to teach each other stuff about the world. We can, and we were sort of engaged, you know and we liked each other and that that wasn't a conscious decision inevitably you're spending more time with him because your scenes tend to be with him but then there were other people you know like Colin's character I have hardly any interaction with at all and you find you're not talking to him as much and so so there's that weird overlap of the on-screen off-screen stuff that you, you start relationships develop because there's no rehearsal well there was a little bit of rehearsal more else than usual but even so in any film 
the off-screen relationship begins to bleed into the on-screen relationship. I really, really love that. You know, and in, in in working on this film as well, obviously you were talking about Sam Mendes and, you know, he's someone who is so, has been thinking about this project and this film for so long and, and you have Roger Deakins doing cinematography and even just in their dynamic, I feel like they, they've both kind of spoken about their ideal day at the moments where they, they've already figured everything out in advance. So they almost don't even need to have a conversation on yeah, set, yeah. which is similar to what you're saying about with scene partners as well. And so in going into a lot of scenes with the two of them behind the camera, what did that dynamic look like, especially on those days where they would accomplish that moment of not needing to have that dialogue and there just being this beautiful silent language between them what you feel like is you feel like a lot of things have been sorted uh, uh, you know when you're making a film I've often thought it's just this meeting of an industrial situation you've been on a set you can see it's an industrial situation lots of people who may not even some of them may not even know the story are working on this thing to create a space in which art will happen you know, and you've got an industrial situation meeting an artistic situation. And right at the point where those two places meet are the director and the DP. They're, they're literally the people and the first AD. And they're, they're there protecting this space where people are going to do some acting. And with Roger and Sam, the way that they, and indeed the first, you know, the way that they were able to protect that space is because they were so experienced and so organized and so clear and had worked together so much that that thing was never, there was never any problem with that. Now, sometimes on a film, it can be a problem because people are also discovering how each other works as the film moves on. But we had the huge luxury here of relationships already formed and, uh, but but I mean it's it's not you know no one can prepare for everything on a film and there were times when things didn't go right and but you again because there was a history between them it was very discreetly dealt with and and you felt that there was space and time to negotiate the the acting part of it I mean sometimes you can have the impression on certain films that you're getting in the way of people getting on with their jobs you know you know, and in, in, in terms of scenes as well, in talking a little bit about the scene where Norman is revealing and, and talking about his son and, and that relationship dynamic, especially with the way that you were describing earlier, how he's kind of self-medicated himself from, from navigating through it. So there's a very specific emotional plane of, of how he's discussing this. You know, what's so wonderful about scenes like that is there's a lot of different directions that you could potentially take the emotional landscape of a character in. How are they revealing this information? Where are they at at this point? You know, but for for this and for Norman, it's this place of he's processed this in a certain way and he's found the way that works for him in the world. Yeah. And so how did you land upon that that specific emotional landscape for him in, in where he's at and, and what it looks like for him to be telling somebody? Uh, I think I, I'm not sure that I, 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 I was aware that, you know, it was one moment where we'd find out a lot of information and, and he would learn something about himself because he wasn't particularly articulate about his own emotional life. And so I suppose what I do in those situations is again, I've got a task. I think I'm, uh, heaving films up and down a staircase and then I stop to have a conversation and the conversation creeps up on me and 
uh, I remember it being, um, I think I just, I mean, it's quite hard to talk about this stuff. I, I, I think I just allowed the words to act on me, uh, to just do it and to be, it sounds awful, I hate saying things like, to be present in the scene with Olivia, but to to try and see if I could surprise myself because there was enough time to shoot it. We'd be doing it several times. But each time I did find that moment quite powerful, uh, only because I have children and inevitably you draw upon the intensity of those relationships and the possibility of those relationships being disrupted. Uh, so I suppose in that sense, you, 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 you allow yourself to try and... Most screen acting is really about concentration. Can you concentrate in this noise and, and disturbance? And stuff? Can you concentrate on this little moment you've got to, to, to focus on and organising your concentration? And if you can, then miraculously the camera will pick it up. If you can't, the camera won't pick it up. I, I love that sentiment and you know it's it's such a wonderful scene and such a great character in the film so congratulations on everything with the thank movie you. so far and thank you so much for sharing all of this really appreciate it thank you Mara